Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we continued our examination of the beginning of the trial as Prosecutor Thomas Binger concluded his opening statement. On today's episode, we'll begin our look at the opening statement offered by the defense as delivered by Rittenhouse attorney Mark Richards. That's coming up right after the break. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rittenhouse defense attorney Mark Richards is a Wisconsin native. He went to college and law school in Madison. Richards started his career as a prosecutor in Kenosha County and has spent his entire career in Kenosha and Racine counties. As he approaches the lectern to address the jury, he sports a buzz haircut, a small paunch belly, and a navy blue suit with white dress shirt and a red tie. He speaks with a strong Wisconsin accent and flexes a familiarity with local schools and landmarks that suggest deep roots in the community. The subtext of Richard's appearance and presentation to the jury is, I'm one of you, a member of this community, and I'm here to say that Kyle Rittenhouse is too. Richards begins by acknowledging that the prosecution and the defense have two very different outlooks on the events of August 25, 2020, particularly with respect to Kyle Rittenhouse's presence in Kenosha. You've heard the state's opening statement, and now I will give mine. We have two very different outlooks on the events of August 25th of 2020. Kyle Rittenhouse was present in Kenosha, Wisconsin on the evening of August 24th. He stayed at his friend's residence, Dominic Black. He saw on the live streams and things like that, the events of the 24th. He saw a car source, number one, as I referred to it, the one that's on the east side of Sheridan Road, burn all of the automobiles, burn destroyed. He saw the looting going on. He saw the other businesses burnt down. And the next morning, he went down to downtown Kenosha to look at the damage. He stopped and he helped clean up at the old Ruther High School. I think it's called something else now. But when I was around here, it was called Ruther and before that, Bradford. And he saw that. He met one of the owners from Car Source and they talked. And they decided that they would offer their services, him and Dominic Black and Nick Smith, to help protect the property of Car Source. 
Defense attorney Richards next leans into his rebuttal of the prosecution's claim that Rittenhouse was an outsider to Kenosha. Ladies and gentlemen, the evidence will show, in spite of what the media and public statements and things like that have been, the evidence will show that Kyle Rittenhouse had strong ties to Kenosha. His father lived in Kenosha. His mother lived in Antioch, Illinois. Kyle worked here in Kenosha County at the Recplex in Pleasant Prairie as a lifeguard. He went downtown to clean up the graffiti. Him and Nick left there, and they decided to come back that evening and help car source Lot 2, which is at 59th and Sheridan, and initially car source 3 at 60th and Sheridan. And when they were doing that, they met other individuals who had come to town at the urging of websites and things like that, and then just a general, I would say, distaste for the destruction. And those guys from the West Bend area, Ryan Balch, Lakowski, Joanne Fiedler, agreed that they would all help protect the car source lots. And initially, they went to the lot at 59th early in the evening. And what will end up being, you will see the events of that night unfold in video and still photographs. But ultimately, what this case will come down to, it isn't a whodunit, when did it happen, or anything like that. It is, was Kyle Rittenhouse's actions privileged under the law of self-defense? That is, that the defendant believed that there was an actual or imminent unlawful interference with his person. The defendant believed that the amount of force that he used or threatened to use was necessary to prevent or terminate the interference and that his belief was reasonable. You as jurors will end up looking at it from the standpoint of a 17-year-old under the circumstances as they existed on August 25th, 2020. And Mr. Binger makes a big thing out of Kyle Rittenhouse was the only person who shot somebody that evening. True. Mr. Rittenhouse was the only person who was chased by Joseph Rosenbaum. As we noted in our last episode, Richards received permission from Judge Bruce Schrader to use 41 audiovisual materials in his opening statement. As he presents each clip or photo, the defense attorney never veers from his folksy and familiar manner of communicating with the jury. The initial audiovisual aid that Richards presents to the jury is a photo of the first man who was shot and killed by Rittenhouse. This is Joseph Rosenbaum. And what's important in this photograph is, one, it will allow you to identify him throughout the course of trial. Notice the belt, the baggy, lengthy jeans, and there will be a fair amount of testimony, I'm sure, regarding the maroon shirt. He's obviously currently wearing it. Mr. Rosenbaum was at a location, and Mr. Rosenbaum had, along with other individuals, started a dumpster on fire. And when somebody put that dumpster that was very close to a gas station out, Mr. Rosenbaum became enraged. Richards then shows the jury a video clip of Joseph Rosenbaum on the night of August 25th, 2020. The clip includes audio of Rosenbaum using a racial slur. Defense attorney Richards repeats Rosenbaum's statements moments later. 
In both instances, we have bleeped that audio. That's just a brief snippet of that interaction. And he was upset and he's yelling that he wants to be shot. And you'll see individuals in the full video, which you'll see in the course of trial, holding him back, trying to stop him from getting at an individual who is dressed with a baseball cap, an AR rifle, and long pants, excuse me, short pants, who looks very much like Kyle Rittenhouse. Here's Mr. Rosenbaum in, during the evening. Him and his friend or associate, Joshua Zeminski, had just come from starting a trailer on fire. He arms himself with a chain and goes up and down Sheridan Road, carrying this rather heavy chain used to tie down equipment. Next is a still photograph taken from the ultimate gas station where he was shouting, shoot me, shoot me at a Black Lives rally. Who is that behind him? Joshua Zeminski. The evidence will show that Mr. Zeminski, also known as Alec Blaine, and Mr. Rosenbaum are together throughout the evening. The man that Richards just identified for the jury, Joshua Zeminski, will come up repeatedly throughout this trial. We'll have more of Richards' introduction of Zeminski to the jury right after the break. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Mark Richards tells the jury that Joshua Zeminski was a critical participant in the series of events that led to Kyle Rittenhouse's shooting of Joseph Rosenbaum. And Joshua Zeminski plays a central role in this scenario on August 25th. One, creating chaos and havoc with Mr. Rosenbaum. And two, more importantly, when we finally get to car source number three, Mr. Zeminski is the individual who fires the first shot that evening behind Kyle Rittenhouse as he's being chased by Mr. Rosenbaum. Here's a picture with two circles, Mr. Rosenbaum and Mr. Zeminski starting the trailer on fire on Sheridan Road along with a dumpster. You see the photograph, the second one circled. Testimony will show that that is in fact Mr. Rosenbaum wearing a blue mask, not his shirt, over his head and carrying a bag, which I'm sure there will be much testimony about. Other individuals in this, once again, Mr. Zeminski. In the photograph taken at the ultimate, this is a still from one of the videos you'll get to see, is Mr. Zeminski armed with the weapon that he ultimately fires at the car source three. Richards then moves on to describe other individuals who will be significant to the defense narrative in the case. The individual with the red hair is Kelly Zeminski. She has a backpack and there's a circle on her hand with a big, heavy flashlight. As you can see, 
There was no need that evening for a flashlight other than it being a weapon. Count two is an individual by the name of Richard McGinnis. He was a reporter covering the riots in Kenosha. He had covered the riots in Portland, Minneapolis. And he will tell you what he's called to the witness stand by either the state or myself, that he was dressed like this that night. The black t-shirt with the white back, the helmet on his head. And he had interviewed Kyle Rittenhouse and talked to him. And Mr. Balch and Rittenhouse were going to go out and see if anybody needed medical attention that evening. And Richie McGinnis was going to follow along. He will testify that he goes out with them. And eventually they have an interaction with the individual who we refer to as Yellow Pants Man. Next, Mark Richards reintroduces the jury to Gage Grosskreutz and Anthony Huber. But in his description, Richards offers information that was not shared with the panel by Prosecutor Thomas Binger during his opening. This is Gage Grosskreutz, the individual who is the victim, or excuse me, the complaining witness in count five. I apologize. And in that photograph, you see that he's wearing a backpack and he has his cell phone in his hand as he does throughout the evening filming. Photograph 10, excuse me, the next photograph, is the evidence will show Gage Grosquitz running down Sheridan Road, and you see his hand going into the back of his waistband, pulling out a firearm to arm himself. The evidence will show through testimony of an individual by the name of Nathan DeBrun that that yellow dot right up there is where Kyle Rittenhouse is as they chase him down Sheridan Road. Mr. Grosquitz is not in any danger. Kyle Rittenhouse has already told him that he's going to turn himself into the police, yet he arms and continues with the mob to attack. This is a picture of Anthony Huber, the individual who attacks my client as he's laying on the ground after being kicked in the head by Jump Kick Man with his skateboard. He hit him with the skateboard as he was running down Sheridan Road. And then as he's laying prone on the ground, he comes in for another hit on his head and then grabs Kyle Rittenhouse's firearm to try and take it away from him. The next photograph is a picture to look at the whole skateboard, the size of that skateboard, the trucks of that skateboard, Ladies and gentlemen, I would love to be able to hold up that skateboard in front of you as evidence today, because then you could see it. You could see the weight and the heft of what a skateboard is. And what that skateboard would do is somebody takes it in their hand, swings down on somebody's shoulder, head, and neck, trying to separate the head from the body, as Mr. Huber did. Prosecutor Binger objects to Richard's characterization of the skateboard as a weapon. But you know, I'm going to object to the argument here, Your Honor. This is this is straying beyond a characterization of the evidence, and it's Mr. Richards' interpretation as an argument. Judge Schrader overrules the objection, saying that the jury will decide what the skateboard was being used for. You'll see the photographs, you'll see the videos, and ultimately you'll get to make the decision of what Anthony Huber was trying to do. The skateboard doesn't exist because Ms. Giddings, his girlfriend, in spite of repeated requests by Detective Howard, refused to produce it. 
that's what the evidence will show. Mr. Huber at the ultimate gas holding back Mr. Rosenbaum, who is ultimately the individual who lit the fuse that night. The identity of the next individual whom Richards describes is a mystery at the time he delivers this opening statement. And so, as with Yellow Pants Man, Richards describes him a folksy moniker. The one I refer to as Jump Kick Man or the non-complaining witness. Kyle is laying on the ground after being knocked to the ground by an individual hitting it out of the rock. Anthony Huber hitting him with the skateboard. And Jump Kick Man comes in, kicks him square in the face with his black boot, close-ups of that. And as he's kicking him in the face, Kyle fires two shots at that individual. He's not hit. He gets up and he runs away into the night, never to be seen again, never coming forward to identify himself as a victim, claiming witness or otherwise to law enforcement. We looked for him, the evidence will show. The state looked for him, the evidence will show. Those are the big players in this case. But ultimately, what you'll end up having to decide, looking at all the circumstances of that evening, are the events that occurred over really a brief 15-minute period, but more importantly, three minutes. In setting the scene and establishing the principal players for the jury, Mark Richards has woven the audiovisual material into his folksy presentation with great cinematic effect. While that concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, in coming episodes we will examine how Richards uses these narrative tactics to persuade the jury to accept Kyle Rittenhouse's perspective of the events of August 25, 2020. Meanwhile, on our next episode, we will offer our weekly recap of the events we presented this past week. I'll be joined again by Professor of Law and Director of the Criminal Defense and Prisoner Advocacy Clinic at Georgetown University, Abby Smith. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. This episode was written by Vanessa Heron. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. The episode was edited by Chris Taracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.